want to talk about Emmanuel. Let's get into the, the word today. Isaiah 7, verse 14 says these words. The Lord himself will give you a sign. And we'll break this down, who he's actually, the prophet's actually talking to. He'll give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. If you don't know what Emmanuel means, it means God with us. Now the background of this, this prophecy is that it's, uh, it's really addressing a political situation that's taking place in, in the Old Testament. And a political situation is taking place in, a, in a, the southern kingdom of Israel called Judah. If you don't know your Old Testament, let me just bring you up to date real fast on a crash course. You remember the children of Israel. Everyone's seen Cecil B. DeMille's Ten Commandments. If you haven't, it's a classic. You actually hear the voice of God. Moses. Okay, it's a great one. But everyone's, they don't understand their Old Testament. They don't understand that that nation didn't stay together. That because of idolatry and sin, there was a civil war that took place. And two kingdoms developed during uh, the time. This would be after King Solomon, the son of King David. And those two kingdoms were the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And so when the prophets are speaking, and they're actually speaking to Israel, many times they're talking to the northern kingdom. And to the, there was a king over the northern kingdom. And when they're saying Judah, they're talking to over the southern kingdom, which were, were the priests in the tribe of Judah. And of course, it's out of that tribe that Jesus came out of that particular tribe of Judah. And of course, Judah would be more occupied around what you know today as Jerusalem. And so what was happening is that there was a lot of bad stuff. It wasn't a good time even for the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. But the northern kingdom had formed an alliance with a king by the name of Rezin from a country called Aram. And they were going to, in an alliance, going to come against Judah, the southern kingdom. At the same time, Assyria was now threatening to come down on the whole land. And it was a very, very scary time. And so the king of Judah, his name was, by the name, his name was Ahaz. He was, he was in a situation of what to do. Assyria could come down and clobber us. These two, these two kings, these that joined an alliance could come and outnumber me and, and wipe out my nation. And the prophet Isaiah, uh, I got all sorts of stuff coming. Syria, if you come down and collaborate, says 250 days to change this joint. I got something going on here. There, there we go. Back to my, I don't know what happened there, but you ever had Syria just start talking to you on your PowerPoint? It's extremely scary, especially when you're preaching. prophet Isaiah comes to King Ahaz and he said, listen Ahaz, don't trust in Assyria. If you want to try to make a, 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 an alliance with them and make peace with them, don't, don't look to them as your help. Don't look at your schemes. Don't look at your strength. Don't look at your military. Don't trust any of these things. What's going to happen is Assyria is going to come down and it's going to shatter Israel. And what you're also going to see is this alliance is going to be broken it's going to be broken up. What you're going to see is you're going to see God fulfilling his purpose for his people. He's going to watch over you. And there's going to be a sign that he's going to do this. A sign is this, a virgin, and that could be a young woman who hasn't been, it was of marriageable age, but who has not married yet, is going to have a child. Now, Bible scholars don't know what child that might be at that time. There were certain things the prophecy actually contained. 
that during, when, before that child would know right or wrong, that alliance in the north was going to be broken. And during that time of that child's raising, Israel would go through great calamity. And so no one knows what child is, but there was a fulfillment in the time of Ahaz plus a fulfillment in Jesus that takes place in this particular prophecy. And uh, Isaiah says, don't trust Assyria to come to your aid. Don't, don't trust this and don't trust that. I'm, I'm about to work out my purpose. It's in this that not only does he say uh, in verse 7 that a virgin shall have a child and you shall call his name Emmanuel, but he goes on to say that unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. We're going to call him Wonderful Counselor. We're going to call him Mighty God. We're going to call him Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. That's when he shares this. He also shares, guess what? There's going to come a root out of the house of David, out of the house of Jesse, I mean. And that one is going to establish my kingdom, and I'm going to put my anointing on him. And, and he, he begins to make all these messianic promises in the middle of this situation. So back to Ahaz. He's not to put his confidence in his army. He's not to put his confidence in someone coming to his aid, like a big country, like, like Assyria, some big country coming to aid him. Prophet Isaiah, he said, you trust in the Lord. And so we see the fulfillment of this. So what Matthew does, and of course that prophecy was fulfilled just a very short time after that. That alliance did break. A short time after that, Assyria did destroy Israel. And after that, Assyria was destroyed. You know, we put a confidence in things. We think that it's going to be something we can really lean on, but it's here today and it's gone tomorrow. And whatever you're doing right now in your life and where you are, our, the challenge of Jesus to us on this day is to trust in Him. To trust in Him. You can trust in the stock market. I'll just tell you this, stock market will go up and down like a roller coaster. We feel good when they're making good economic predictions. We feel bad when they're making bad economic predictions. That's your trust. If your trust is this or that or, come on, at the end of the day, the only thing we can really trust in is God. That's the message that Isaiah gave Ahaz. And so Matthew, in his account of Joseph, he says this. But as he, Joseph, considered these things, after the angel said that Mary is with child, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And, of course, he finds out, you know, he's, he's wrestling with this issue that Mary's pregnant. And he says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. I know this is staggering to you that she's pregnant. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, which means the Lord shall save. For he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. So Matthew reaches all the way back into the prophecy that Isaiah gave Ahaz, and he says this has a fulfillment in the birth of Jesus. He said, well, can it have both? The answer is yeah, it's kind of the law of double reference. It has a fulfillment because there's certain things in the prophecy that would take place during that time period that had to take place. 
But, but Matthew goes back. It was also pointing to another sign he was going to be to the house of David that I'm going to bring forth the Savior, the Messiah, through the house of David. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, what does the name Emmanuel mean to us? Very quickly here. It reveals the role of Jesus that he brought God's presence to man. There's a principle in the, in the Bible that's very important. If you understand it, you'll understand the whole, most of the whole Bible. That God has this thing. He really wants to hang out with you and I. He really wants to be with us. At the beginning, he was with man in, his, in the original creation. Sin separated man from the presence of God. They were driven out of that place of his presence. But then he begins to reveal himself to the patriarchs of the book of Genesis. And every time they build an altar, God appears to them, makes covenants with them, brings his voice to them, promises them he's with them. Then he takes the children of Israel and he builds a, a temple tent called the tabernacle. And he hangs out and he wants them to put the temple right in the middle of the camp where his presence can guide them. Then they went into a tent that King David pitched that... The priest could worship 24 hours a day. Then it went into a temple that Solomon built where God's glory dwelt in that, right in the middle of Jerusalem. And then finally, Jesus came. John 1.14 says this, The word, Jesus, the one who was with the Father from the beginning, he, he tabernacled, he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He dwelt with us by his presence. And then eventually he dwells in the church. We experience his presence. The church is the fullness of him. And then finally, Revelation 21.3 says the tabernacle of God is with man. It's always in the heart of God to be with you. That's his heart. He wants to be God with us. It also reveals this, that Jesus' nature, that he was both God and that he was Man. You know, Jesus in becoming man, he identifies with us. It's interesting because he was always God. But becoming man, he actually becomes something he wasn't before. And that is the God-man. He joins the human race. He, he identifies with you and I. He identifies with our human needs. He identifies with our limitations. He identifies even with our temptations as he was tempted. He became one of us. So that he could minister to us. It reveals that it was a prophecy predicted that actually came to pass both in Ahaz's time and, and, and in our time. God's faithful to his promises. You know, Christians live in the in-between always. Every one of you lives in the in-between. Between promises that God has revealed and promises yet to be fulfilled. For the church and for your individual life. We live, all of us, in the tension of prophetic tension between God's promises and the fulfillment of those promises. It reveals to us that God is gracious towards us. Well, let's just consider this. The infinite has come to the finite. The all-powerful has come to the weak. The holy one comes to the defiled. The perfect one comes to the imperfect. The all-knowing comes to the ignorant. The one who has always loved us comes to the ones who have rejected him. When God is gracious. What's God like? He's kind. He's merciful. Paul said it this way. But God, 
who is rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. We're with the love that he loved us. It also reveals that God is faithful. I love what Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.13. Listen to this. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. One of the things that I observed, one of the nice things about becoming an old guy is that you get to watch the faithfulness of God. I've watched God over and over and over and over again show himself faithful to people who have lost their faith. God over and over and over again has opened the hearts of people who close their hearts to God. Because God cannot deny himself. Your confession sometimes and even your bad attitude sometimes and my bad attitude sometimes won't stop God from making sure that he reveals himself to us. And it is actually a fun part of my job to get to watch him do that. Now, why do we struggle with this thought of God being with us? Why is this such a wrestling match sometimes? Well, one is this. Because of <clears throat> the nature of answered prayer. Sometimes our, our answers to prayer are this. It's coming. That's nice. Sometimes our answers to prayer, not now. That, that's not fun. Sometimes it's not going to come in the manner by what you've asked. Pastor Peter did a great job in laying that out here when we started the surrender series. Sometimes that answer is going to come after you go to heaven. What? You mean there's, I'm going to go to heaven and some of the things I prayed for on earth are actually going to get answered after I leave earth? Yeah. Well, that's no fun. I won't care when I get to heaven. Well, maybe somebody else will that gets to be the recipient of that prayer. You look at Revelation 8, the incense starts going before the throne of God. It mixes with, the incense mixes with all the prayers of all the saints and God's fulfilling his great redemptive purposes. There are people who have prayed in the first century. We might be the recipients of their prayer. One being a man by the name of Jesus. I do not pray just for these, but for also those who will believe through their word. I mean, that's, man, really? I don't get to see the reward. You will in eternity. And sometimes the answer is No. I know that Pentecostal charismatic Christians, we don't like that. We don't, we don't have no in our theology. There's no such thing as no. It's, it's yes. It's a, yes and amen. There's no, sometimes it's sovereignly no. Sometimes I used to just say no to my children just because I wanted to train them in right theology. <laughs> Can we have canning? No. Why? It's I said no. The other reason is because God is with us in a very messy world. You know, one of the questions we all ask, if, we, if he's with us, you know, why, why are things so messy? You've, you've asked that question before? Why are things so messy in life? Because we live in a messy world. I, a, few, a few weeks ago, I actually gave an exhortation, and I, I testified about John Mark McMillan and his song, 
you know, oh, how he loves us or how he loves you. And the lyrics, he was, he was grieving over the death of a friend. And this is why he wrote this lyric. He says, so, so heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss. And there's been people who have changed the word. That's just horrible. But you've missed the, the heart of the poet. Heaven meets earth. Heaven meets earth and its messiness. Heaven meets earth and its ugliness. Heaven meets earth in these things. You know, we are more than conquerors. You've got to have something to conquer. It's like playing a football game without a team opposing you. Hey, I ran for a touchdown. There was no one there to tackle you. Come on. Heaven meets earth with a sloppy wet kiss, and my heart turns violently inside of my chest. Why? Because I don't have time to maintain these regrets. I don't have time to lick my wounds and ponder and, and be a sourpuss and charge God falsely. I gotta, I gotta move on. He loves me in the midst of this mess. When I think about the way He loves me, He loves us. The world's messy because we're not always aware of God's presence. We love the feeling of his presence, the reality of it, the tangible of it, the manifest presence. The Puritans called it Coram Deo, the manifest presence of God. So it was like revival zones. But you know, you don't always feel God. How many people have noticed that? When I train preachers, one thing they have to learn, they don't feel anointed every Sunday. When I used to preach, when I was back in my old church, I got to preach like once a year. Studied for hours, practiced, polished, prayed, fasted. I don't get the same opportunities when I'm preaching 150 times a year. You just have to trust God in faith. It's about faith. It's interesting to me in Genesis 3.8 that they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Why did it mention it there not in chapter 3 and not in chapter 2? Because God removed the awareness of his presence from them. When they were being tempted... They didn't have any feelings going on. Sometimes you go through things where you don't feel God because he's testing you whether you're going to be a person of faith. You know, the other thing we struggle with is this. We, we think that faith and subjective experiences are the same, and they're not the same. We've got to understand we, this is not about feelings. It's not what we see. It's not what we feel. The fifth reason is because we're dominated by our senses and emotions, which really lead to wrong perspective. You see, in my senses, I only know what I can see. I don't have the full picture. I don't have the complete picture at all. And it leads me, it leads me to wrong consequences. So where do we go, Bob? Worship team, come on up here. Where do we go? We need to rediscover faith on this day. Faith means this. It means putting your trust in God and having confidence that he will fulfill his promises. The Greek word for, uh, for faith is this. The Greek word is called pistis. And it means uh, that that comes, it comes from a, another Greek word called pitha, which means this, to be persuaded. It means to be persuaded that something is true. It means to fully trust God and his word that he is with us. 
Now, there's a big theological debate in closing here in Christendom whether that faith is a gift. God just comes to some and he just wakes up their heart and he just causes them to be persuaded. Another camp say, well, no, man has to by his own will and effort. He has to believe and come to a conclusion of faith. And so there's been a great debate. They use other terms about breaking it down. And one camp will say, you know, for, for by grace you're saved through faith, not of yourselves, the gift of God. The gift of God, they would say, is faith there. God just gave you faith. You didn't have it, but his grace gave you faith. Others believe, no, you've got to choose to believe. So, Bob, what's the answer? The answer is yes. God does persuade us. There's a grace that comes. But we have to respond in faith. I've just watched God over and over and over again help people with their unbelief. Remember the man that said to Jesus, Lord, help my unbelief? Help my unbelief. We all go through that. How people identify with that, man? And God's going to help us. God will bring persuasion. God will answer questions. God will come to your heart. God will wake you up. God will do sorts of things. But we have to respond. There's a response on our part. So the answer is yes, there's a divine side. And yes, there's a human side. But we've got to rediscover faith. Feelings won't do it. Trusting in things that are here today and gone tomorrow won't do it. Trusting in whatever our Assyria is and some big company or some big government or some big deal or something that works in our culture. We just trust that. That won't work. Our trust and confidence has to be in God. We've got to get back to trusting God and being fully persuaded in his word and who he is. Whether I feel anything or not. Whether my world is messy and I haven't yet experienced the intervention of God's big kiss. He's still faithful. Let's stand to our feet. He's with us.